Are you a fire instructor or training officer eager to elevate your career? Inside the Modern Fire Instructor Pro Membership, you can leap beyond department limitations. Inside MFI Pro, you'll immerse yourself with monthly expert-led training, live bi-weekly Zoom Q&As, and an exclusive community of like-minded peers. You'll also have 24-7 access to our extensive and purpose-built resource library to help you stay ahead of your peers. Ready to ignite your full potential? To learn more, click the link in the show notes or head to trymfi.com. That's trymfi.com to begin your journey right now with a seven-day free trial. And when you sign up, make sure to use coupon code PODCAST to receive 40% off your monthly membership forever when you decide to stay. Secure your future, invest in yourself, and invest in MFI Pro at trymfi.com. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Modern Fire Instructor Podcast, where we tap into the wisdom of experienced professionals on topics like fire training, leadership, and learning. I'm your host, Rob Candle. Join me as we uncover actionable insights that you can use to grow your skills as an instructor, make you more effective, and help you leave a lasting impact on those you serve. Today, my guest is Battalion Chief Mike Rudisill. Chief Rudisill is an experienced shift BC with 13 years in the position and 25 years of service for the Baltimore City Fire Department. Mike is heavily involved in his department's FOCUS program, otherwise known as the Fire Officer Command and Simulation Program. The FOCUS program launched in 2022 and uses computer-based simulations to train officers in size-up and decision-making. We spoke to Mike to learn more about the implementation of their FOCUS program, as well as to ask about what kind of early results they're experiencing. Let's get curious and dive in. Chief Rudisell, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. How you doing, Rob? I'm good. Yeah, before we get started um, on the on the uh, simulation program that you guys are running in your department, I thought it'd be good just to start with getting a little background on your department so that as we discuss your your uh, focus program, we can kind of put that into context about the size and scope of both your department and your train size of your training division. Okay, sounds good. So just give me a little, uh, kind of just a quick overview sketch of, you know, where are you guys located and uh, what's the size of your department, things like that. So we're located in uh, the, in Baltimore City. Um, Baltimore City is, is the central urban area in, in, in the state of Maryland. Um, downtown area, uh, mixed. You know, we have a housing stock that's anywhere, row homes, high rises. Uh, we have waterfront. We have docks. We have just about everything you can imagine rail. Um, it's 93 square miles, I think, um, if I'm correct in stating that. And, uh, we cover that with six battalions. Um, we have, I think we have 37 engines, 16 or 17 trucks, a heavy rescue hazmat. Uh, we have a fire boat because we are on the waterfront. Um, we, we run, I think, man, 150, 60,000 calls EMS related as well as fire. Mm-hmm. How many uh, members in your department? We have approximately, I think it's about 16 to 1700 and, and roughly 1200, 1300 of those personnel are operational personnel, EMS and suppression. Okay. I'm coming from a department with uh, staffing of 90. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's a, right, that's yeah. a huge department to me. Yeah. yeah well, we're uh, not in New York, but we're, we're, uh, we're, we're a decent sized department. Yeah. For, for yeah what we do. Decent size for sure. 
Um, tell me about your training division. What does uh, for a for a department that size that you just described? What does the training division staffing look like, and what are your facilities like for training? Yeah, so we have a dedicated fire academy where we're we're able, we're able to do live burns on site. Um, EMS training's done partially at that academy, but we also have some outposts, I'll call them, located centrally in the city in a, in a facility they call it the Public Safety Training Academy, which there's some police-related training in those facilities as well. Um, at our fire academy, uh, I'm not sure the exact staff, but uh, you know they have the deputy chief of training. They have a battalion chief assigned there presently, um, a captain, a lieutenant. And they come from the suppression side, but we also have a um, fire service instructor uh, cadre that's that's uh, internal promotion for, for just the fire academy. And they do a lot of the uh, they all work together and do the in-service training and the recruit training. But the uh, fire service instructor, it's a promoted position and they're assigned to the academy and they uh, handle a lot of the recruit training. How long does somebody stay in that position? They promote into that position and then is that where they stay or is do they end up rotating out to operations? I think generally speaking, uh, they, they generally stay in that position. I think they're eligible to take suppression promotional exams depending on where they came from. Mm-hmm. I think they generally go there and they stay. We have one lead instructor. He's probably been in that position probably for the last eight or 10 years. Now he's actually getting close to retirement. Um, so it's actually a, like a specialized career path in your department then? Yeah. So it's kind of like, a, if you can imagine, it's like fire prevention, almost like you go into okay. that bureau and you can mm. promote from within, I th- you know, it's, there's not a lot of upward mobility in that from, I guess, from that aspect. Um, mm. And then we also have some suppression related positions. There's one, at least one captain and one Lieutenant assigned there. And then, we do a lot of uh, adjunct instructing, which is where I come into play in this mm-hmm. in the big scheme of things. And there's there's a bunch of people who are either, you know, fire a level two instructor based on our MIFRI standards, Maryland Fire Rescue Institute standards. Or there's also um, there's also um, MICRB, which those instructors have um, special qualifications that allow them to do a bunch of like fire officer three and four. And they're the only ones qualified to do this, that type of training. So if I understand what you're saying, you have a, a dedicated a, a, a pathway into training where you actually have people promoting into that and they'll be there. They could be there long term. And then you also have operations uh, officers that will rotate into training for a period of time and then rotate back out. Yeah. So actually, so if you get promoted, like just say, I don't know, the captain presently at the fire academy, if he made if he promoted or retired, for example. Um, and we actually have a chief in, in a position that's, um, getting ready to retire at the end of this month. Now, theoretically, the next chief should go in that position. Mm -hmm. And our rule is you stay in your position a year and then you can transfer out. Um, so, so the operational people in theory, you get it promoted to that position and then you can transfer out if you'd like, or you could stay There, there are permanent positions, um, in our department. If you'd like to stay and continue, you can. And then also we have uh, officers, which we detail into um, those positions to assist, you know, to to support the staff. Like right now, currently, one of my shift lieutenants is at the academy helping, uh, assisting with training, but he also is working on like training manual stuff and updating, mm-hmm. you know, the in-service training type, type stuff. How many, uh, you guys do your own academy. How many academies do you run in a year for a department that size? 
man, I, I, it's, it's, uh, it, it depends when we're rolling them. Like right now we know we're going to lose a significant amount of people in, in January and we're already short. So currently what we're doing, uh, I think I was just out there two days ago and I think they said they have about two classes there now. And that's probably about 80 recruits. They also just run EMS only classes, which all of our EMS people get fire one too. So they have to get that in order to be accepted into the pension and the union. So, mm-hmm. um, so recently, as well, as recently as a couple months ago, we probably had three classes and, and uh, I, th- I want to say it was over 100 recruits in some phase of training out there. Mm. And as well as all the, the, the place is really crazy and it's an older fire academy. Um, so the facilities are older. Um, we just are in the process of getting new um, uh, portable trailers like to do training. So. We were limited in space. I think that's going to be next week. That should clear up because they were actually were installing those trailers the other day. But uh, it's really, I, I commend the academy staff, all of them, because they managed to juggle that along with all the in-service training that we do, um, which is, you know, we're continually either one day we're doing truck training, one day we're doing simulations, one way, one day we're doing bailout training. It's just, it's a continuous, it's a pretty busy place. It really is. It sounds um, like it. And I, I commend those guys for, for, you know, and the management out there for, for managing all that, um, you know, especially with the limited space they have. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned your role as an adjunct instructor. So there's operations uh, personnel that come in and assist with in-service training and to augment the staff, the training staff to help run in-service training. Correct. And I am, I'm, a, I'm an adjunct and I do uh, a lot of, um, well, I'm a, I'm the uh, subway, light rail, bus, I guess the, uh, the, the uh, um, public transportation SME for our department. Um, so I do all that training in service for, for incumbent members of the department, as well as for every new recruit that graduates gets that training going out the door, specifically for uh, light rail and subway. And we're getting ready to... Um, uh, the, our, our mass transit's getting ready to take possession of, I don't know, a hundred electric buses, zero emission buses. So we're getting ready. So I'd imagine that's going to become part of it because that, that, that also presents a unique set of challenges. And then I'm also involved with the simulation, uh, officer development training. Um, and also we do like uh, a mental performance, uh, intro to our recruits. So we introduce them to some, uh, elements of men- of human, human performance, before they uh, hit the street to give them some mental tools to, to handle some of the stresses they're going to be under. And that's one, another area that you're kind of specialize in and they, they lean on you for some instruction in that area. Yeah. So it's uh, it, me along with others as well. Um, that, that area specifically, we have about, I don't know, we're now up to about 10, a cadre of about 10 personnel that have uh, um, embarked on that endeavor to learn about, um, human performance and try to introduce it to our department. That's uh, today we're going to focus on simulations, but that sounds like an interesting conversation. Um, I've heard um, that, you know, discussed before, but where I came from, that's not something that we did a real good job of integrating, but I think it's a very important one. Um, the human performance side of things and how you operate under stress and preparing for stress. Am I, am I reading that right? That that's kind of where you're focused on in that area? Yeah. So we, uh, so yeah, so, so we talk about 
we talked we talked to them about the stresses. Yeah, absolutely, they're under, and and how to deal with those stresses. Like we try to give give them tools and make them understand what their body is going through physically and mentally. You know, from that first day when the when the gong goes off and they take that first response, and you know, all kind of stuff is happening to you physically and mentally, and you're probably fumbling over yourself and. uh Eventually, you know, through repetition and through uh, some some skills, we try to give them with with breathing and just uh, repetition, mostly to get over those humps to try to get them to the point where, you know, they're they're able to operate in those stressful environments or God forbid they get in a situation where um, where they're in trouble, how they can calm themselves down and try to try to get through that situation. Well, let's, it's something let's our department is uh, just starting to embark on. Um, uh, you know, we had a, we talked earlier and I talked about leadership under fire. And, and so that's our introduction to it. And we are just scratching the surface. I mean, this is a deep subject. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm just in, in the beginning. If, if, if I had to um, make an analogy, I'm, I'm like a freshman in high school with that stuff at this point and trying to relay that information as best as I understand it, along with the, the cadre that, that does that, you know, um, as best as we can to the new recruits. That's why I, I briefly mentioned that um, we're going to focus on the simulation lab today because each of these topics are important topics and we could do whole shows on, on each sure. of them easily. Uh, I think it's great that your department's identified that as as something that's um, worthwhile of putting resources to to actually develop a curriculum and provide that those that kind of training. I think that's essential training that um, we need to do a better job of getting out to everyone. Yeah, and we think it is too. So you know, even with the simulation program, some of that's built in. Some of what what I've learned through um, the leadership under fire and uh, just reading books, you know. Um, you know, Gary Klein and uh, Daniel Kahneman and, and all those type of books. What I've learned, I try to build that or we try to build that into the simulation program um, because many of our, especially our more seasoned chiefs, they have, you know, that's not something they even under, understand at this point. Sure. Well, let's dive into that simulation program, your focus program. Um, go ahead and just kind of give me a, an overview of that program, if you would, just kind of help us understand um, what it is you guys are trying to accomplish there? What's the scope of your program? Yeah, so so uh, with with this program, um, so so real quick, we use the Sims You Share program. Um, we what we do is we 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 start out with um, the, you know those those low frequency, high risk events, and just for an example, a Mayday or a Subway, and it's probably stuff that you know, most of us have an experience in our career, even with the amount of service we get, like we don't get subway incidents. Our subways, you know, underground's only about five miles long. We, we've had, you know, obviously we had a, we had a tragedy a few years ago and it was a Mayday situation. Um, so, so what we're trying to do is build those out as realistic as possible so that as we introduce the chiefs, to those scenarios, incident commanders being captains or battalion chiefs, it, it really, and really anyone can be an incident commander, as you know. And we, we, so what we try to do is we try to introduce all the burdens of command in those simulations, right? So, so we take a simulation and we build it in a way that's as realistic as possible. So our person, our incident commanders are getting those, um, you know, some of those stressors that they might feel on the scene. And again, 
um, you know, from my reading, the, the brain doesn't really know the difference between a, a simulation and what's real if they're just going. So it's really a mental process they're going through as they as they navigate, you know, things like, you know, uncertainty and they're at certain levels of stress. And, you know, some of our personnel wear these whoops. And I don't know if you're familiar with those, but it's a basically no. a it's a uh, biometric device that measures, you know, your heart rate and your mm. respirations and all this stuff that you're. So I wear one religiously now. I, I just started to wear one. So what we're finding is, is that the people who are wearing that and willing to share that data with us after they go through the simulation, you're finding that their their heart rate and their 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 body is reacting physiologically to that simulation they're seeing in front of them. So essentially what our simulation program is, just to get back to it, so we we build a simulation and that's a process, right? So um, it's almost like making a movie in certain ways. We, we build it so it's as realistic as possible. And then we have a, uh, a beta test, sort of, and we kind of run it through a process where, like, you know, I'm a battalion chief. There's a number of battalion chiefs on the, on the team that we have. And we run through it, and the captains, we all kind of run through it and test it before we roll it out to the in-service training piece of it. So um, part of that is, you know, it's just like taking uh, a movie to the cutting room floor. Some of it gets left. Some of it gets added. We, we might say, okay, that doesn't look right. This doesn't sound right. Like, let's make it. And, you know, from my experience, and I'm in a pretty busy area, West Baltimore at this point. So I've had numerous, I mean, I don't even know at this point, hundreds of fires. I, of course, you've never seen everything in a fire service, but I've seen a lot of different fires. And what we know from fire behavior and fire dynamics is that we try to build those simulations in a way. And, and I do not build them. There's a whole team of people to do that. And, you know, I must give everybody on my team credit. I'm obviously here speaking, but it's an incredible team that we've assembled that builds them, you know, uh, you know, flushes them out until they're ready. And then we roll it out to our incident commanders. We bring them out in service and they go through the training. Um, I don't know how far you want me to go into like the dynamics of it, like how we set it up or. Yeah. I'll ask a couple of questions on that, but before we get too far away from that physiological monitoring piece that you were talking about, is that something that they're wearing like a, a chest strap that they wear? Is it just on their yeah. wrist? Yeah, so it's on, it's on your wrist. I mean, I can actually show it to the if you okay. um, obviously this if you're only hearing it, you're not going to see it. But it's a right. It's basically a physiological device. One of the an athlete, and it's really geared for athletes and military, like um, uh, who wears like a lot of spec, spec ops guys wear them. Um, you know, it's an app on your phone and, and the data, so it's really super sensitive to athletic type um, you know endeavor. So. Mm -hmm. um, now, I would actually you, interestingly you bring up that chest strap. It's one of the things I suggested. Like, but you know, some people will be funny about you know you're talking about like may not want to put that, may not. So it's pretty voluntarily, and you know, there's a group of the, in the department that has realized the value in it, right? So, so I'll take so what what you'll see is I'll take this on a, a pretty you know significant fire I may have had, and I'll take that data and take the audio and I'll overlay the audio with the data. Oh, and, wow. and kind of figure out where I was when maybe things were going bad. Like where was yeah. my heart rate? And, you know, there's a sweet spot, obviously. You want your body to react because it's normal. And then you also don't want to overreact. So you right. want to bring your your heart rate back down to a level in which you, which you can function normally. And you start, on, you know, you start losing dexterity. 
you know, you, you have auditory exclusion, all those things that are going on to an incident commander. So we know from experience with the simulations that because we're some of us are, are going through that, that you're they're actually reacting physiologically to that um to what they're hearing on the radio and what they're seeing on the on the TV screen or the or mm-hmm. the or the you know one that on the simulation so it's pretty have, unique it's pretty interesting stuff have you been able to compare data from training events against incidents do they yeah so so me personally i have because i've been through like i said we run through these simulations before we roll them out mm-hmm. and uh i'll find that my reaction is pretty pretty much the same rather mm-hmm. i'm on an incident at four like five this morning you know fire show and report people trapped or um it's in that in front of that TV screen and uh, just it's, you know, basically a movie that they're playing. You know, it's a slide yeah. slides, obviously. But yes, absolutely. So it's a very similar reaction. Is it something the department provides? Is it something that uh, is made available or are guys just going out and getting this on their own? No, we just go get them on our own. Um, it would be really nice. I think some departments actually get like grants for things like that. But I think you have to have a pretty robust health and wellness program to get get into that type of theater. And presently, we do not have that. So really, it's a lot of it's it's a lot of guys that started out with just a few. And now that group is growing and we're starting to see, like, you know, the interest in it. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's really unique when you take the audio and overlay it. Then that's when you yeah. really see and you look yeah. at the, the timestamp and the comments and you start to see, like, OK, like you can hear the change in the voice when someone me specifically when something's going on, that's exciting me. Right. You can hear the yeah. change in my voice right. compared to what my heart rate's doing. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. How do you yeah. use that personally? How do you use that? Or is there a way to directly use that feedback you're getting from the device? Yeah, How does it so, change your so, behavior or what do you do? What do you, what do you learn from the device that, that what actions do you take from what you've learned? Yeah. So, so what I do is I try to be, um, aware in the moment, sort of, so to speak, and try to be conscious of, Hey, your voice, you know, you, you are getting excited. And then I try to just, you know, box breathing is one technique Mm -hmm. they give you to Mm -hmm. kind of calm yourself down and lower your heart rate and reset yourself. Right. So, um, so that's, that's really how I use it. Right. So I just, I just try to be more self-aware, um, that I'm, reaching that point where, you know, I'm probably becoming ineffective and not really having full situational awareness because my heart rate's at 160. It's not healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you mentioned the box breathing. Have, have you found box breathing to be useful? Yes. Very useful. Or how long? And believe, and believe it or not, this is something really simple and, and everybody has their own thing. I chew gum like, mm. like, or I'll take a walk, like I'll walk to the car for whatever reason to calm myself down to, uh, to reset myself or, mm. and believe it or not, this chewing gum calms me down. I don't know why, but it just does. Yeah. Well, uh, Pete Carroll's a big gum chewer, the coach of the Seahawks. I've noticed that. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. I wonder that's if that's stress yeah. related. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, 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 uh, as far as the simulations go, yeah. So we try to build, stress inoculation into those simulations so that the person standing there is actually gaining from that experience. And, um, you know, they're, they're experiencing some of that uncertainty that's on the fire ground. Now, of course, in 
probably deep in their minds, you know, if they immerse themselves in that experience, which we find most of our people do, is that they actually um, are feeling those physiological changes, right, in their body. And, and so, and then we talk about that stuff afterwards, like, why were you screaming or, you know, why were you getting so excited? You know, and, and then some chiefs are just naturally like that. And then hopefully when we get them in the simulation lab that we can kind of, you know, we know who they are, obviously, from anecdotally listening mm-hmm. to them on the radio. So we try to fix some of that, correct some of those behaviors. Mm-hmm. That kind of feedback where they're able to listen to themselves in a sim, does it, uh, is it helpful in getting, do you see behavior change after they can objectively, you know, after things have slowed down and they, you're doing the after action part of it and they get to hear themselves on the radio, do you see changes being made from that experience? Yeah. So what we're finding is, is that overall the, uh, the simulations and that feedback is actually, you, you, you are seeing behavior. I mean, I mean, it's not across the board, like, you know, everybody's, it's not, trust me, it's no, there's no magic bulletin because mm-hmm. our, the, 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 the fire ground is such a gray, you know, nothing's ever the same. Um, and everybody reacts differently. Like say you just been on a 48 hour shift and like you're at the end of it, you run it. So, it's not exclusive, but what I, what I think what we're really seeing is, is that people are from all ranks, all across the department, from the bottom to the top are coming to us and saying like, hey, that chief or that captain used to be really excited, like, or, or used to make like not the best decisions on the fire ground, but he seems to be, or she seems to be um, getting better from whatever you're doing. It's, it's kind of helping. So that... Mm. You know, that's really where I guess we're measuring it because we don't really have a measuring tool, obviously. Um, I think it's something that's interesting to me is that maybe one day we get there where we can uh, we can take some data from the simulation lab and maybe some somehow measure, um, develop some type of measuring tool that we can measure their performance. And I don't know what that is because it's probably like, you know, uh, some thing that somebody some scientist is going to have to develop somewhere down the road but yeah. it's um some neuroscientist actually so so like and just try to get them to the point where uh like we can measure their 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 performance and then after a couple of times through the simulation lab take that post measurement and say okay like you know obviously we can listen to radio um transmissions and and if they're wearing this this uh device then maybe we can measure some of their biometrics and start to see where that, where it's changing. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what that looks like. I mean, that's something yeah. probably w- way above my pay grade. I was having the same thought though, that uh, being able to, you're, you're talking about having anecdotal feedback that's encouraging. Um, yes. How important it would be and how, how influential it would be to be able to provide some sort of objective feedback that shows increases in performance after participation in, in the simulation program, but you're right. There's a whole lot of work there to make sure that any instrumentation tool that gets developed is, um, scientifically sound, you know, it's not just you and me scratching out a, uh, a one through five Likert scale. Probably it's going to (laughs) be more complex than that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it may be, uh, uh, you know, your, your, let's talk about the team. How, how big is the team of people that is working on the simulation program? Yeah, oh gosh, I don't, I don't want to leave anybody, and, and and so I would be remiss if I didn't like, you know, th- you know, give them credit where credits due, and I could go down a list of names, but I'd probably forget some. But um, we have, 
Hmm. Just trying to think. So we have probably about 12 to 15 people um, that are directly involved in building. And, and so some of them have a dual role. Like we have about five or six builders on the team. And then we just have some people who are role players. And like myself, um, I do some role playing on, on, you know, if they need somebody to fill in over there. Or like I do the um, coaching, I'll call it, is the best word I can describe it for the Chiefs to come through the Sim Lab. Um, so it's probably 12 to 15 people right now. Um, you mentioned and, a team of maybe five builders. Yeah. So we have, five, I think we have five, five or six builders and one like master builder, right? So mm-hmm. he's the guy that like, once we were talking about like how we build these things, once they are beat up enough and they get to the point, like, you know, I, I kind of have a final review and then I give it to him and I say, okay, or as we're going through it, like feedback from the participants, they might say, Hey, that didn't, you know, maybe you should fix. We, we want feedback from the people who are actually mm-hmm. going through it. And they say, Hey, you know, like that didn't look realistic or didn't sound realistic. Like, so, so we'll change the Sims based on that feedback or based on, you know, what we're experiencing on either end of it. I'm outside with the chief and those guys are in the room and then we'll, you know, afterwards we'll say, I'll come in, I'll say, Hey man, like maybe we should change this part of it and and it should look like this. And then again, I I don't think we discussed it, but there's a loosely developed script that goes along with each sim and it's timed out. Like we put the chief on the scene, this say, for example, you know, typical four minutes, right? Four minutes. And Mm -hmm. so the chief, while he's responding gets, and we, all we do is we put him in the back of the fire Academy. Like I have one of my guys that's big into this, this human performance stuff. He wanted to put them on a bicycle, right? Like, and have them get their heart get rate, heart rate going. <laughs> yeah. Like they drove to the scene, which, you know, we just got drivers. So, you know, for me, for the first, you know, 12 years as a battalion chief, I'm driving to the scene, white knuckles, right? Like trying to get to the scene and I'm getting to, I'm jumping out of the car and then trying to make decisions on it. And probably the most stressful thing I did is drive to the scene. Right. So, and I think, I think FDNY actually did a study that proved that. Like, well, there well how does that feel to you anecdotally? I mean, 12 years as a BC with no driver and now maybe a year with a driver. What's that feel like? It's fantastic. Right. Yeah, I was, you know, and there's a lot of chiefs that still haven't embraced it and pushed back. And I just, and, and, you know, with the amount of service, I, I, I I'd be honest, I'd be lying to you if I said I was, if I was, I was probably more lucky than good, right? Because nothing really major ever happened to me on those scenes, right? But now that I have a driver, like he takes care of accountability. Essentially, that's his primary responsibility on the fire scene, accountability. He tracks units, where they at, what they're doing. If I sign them to divisions or groups, he tracks all that stuff. And then I'll, if I call for multiple alarms and I'll say, hey, I need a truck, I'll turn, I'll say, who do I have? And he, he, uh, he, uh, hey, chief, you have truck, you know, one, they're ready to go. All right, call truck one, report to side Charlie and do whatever, right? So it is actually fantastic, in my opinion. And uh, I'll bet it's it, nice in route to the call to be looking at the movie in your mind based on the information that you're hearing and, and putting that picture together. You know, yes. look at the MDT and who's responding and what anomalies do I have happening right now? And have not having to give a, a thought to traffic. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. So, you know, and before I could never look at the MDT, you know, we get the right. notes on the CAD notes and, 
updates from units. You know, when I sometimes when I was driving to the scene three in the morning, like units are coming and you always have people bidding on the boxes. And that was really hard for us. And we we've got to a point where we said we're not going to let people do it because it's too much for the chief. He's already task saturated. Right. So mm-hmm. now we're going to add like three units who were maybe on another call or now trying to jump on this call. And you got units calling in the initial size up. It becomes I mean, no human person can do it effectively. Right. So right. with this, with the, with the driver, it is actually it's, it's actually been fantastic. And honestly, I don't know how for the, you know, I've been in the department 25 years and I don't know when the last time before that the, the Italian chiefs had a driver. I don't know how they did it for so long with, with again, just better, probably more lucky than good yeah. um, because we didn't have any major incidents where, you know, we had a few, we've had a few line of duty deaths over, the, you know, over my career. But I think generally speaking, like, I don't think they really realized what they were missing. Some of these old timer chiefs, and, and and some of those guys are still around, and I think they're still having problems embracing, you know, the value in that. Right. So mm-hmm. I really see the value in what you said. Just drive. I didn't even think about that. Driving to the scene, you know, that's a perfect example. Like getting notes and listening to the size ups and the and the reports, and then you know I can just get out of the car now and just I don't have to worry about boards and you yeah. know bringing all that stuff. He he takes brings all that stuff to the front of the building, and I. uh I just look at what's in front of me and run the fire. And based on, that, you know, that's the way it should be, man. Yes, absolutely. That's, it's fantastic. Just, I mean, really, it's, it is a fantastic thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So take me through, maybe let's just go through the life of a SIM. When you guys get an idea, how do you identify topics? Like okay, you have so, area, uh, areas of focus per quarter or per year where we're going to really make a big push on high rise or we're going to make a big push on May Day or yes. we're going to do, you know, row houses. How do you decide what you're going to do? Yeah. So um, and, and I liked it. You, and I was listening to uh, Chief Nee and he kept talking about yeah. focus and you just said focus. So it's interesting that. You know, that's not where we use that name, but we want it's about focusing on on the on the task. But I just talked about focusing on the building. Mm-hmm. But so to get back to it. So so really like so obviously the majority of our stock are, you know, row homes. So we 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 do try to uh, focus on them. But we also have, you know, downtown Baltimore. We have a lot of, you know, not, it's not New York City, but we have, you know, some 30 story high rises. Um and and so what we might do is listen to, you know, we might hear like an incident where maybe something didn't go, like maybe, maybe we have a couple back-to-back high rises that, that maybe didn't sound so good, or, you know, we've never really had a major incident in the subway system, but we might have a couple, you know, incidents where we hear that, that the chiefs and the, uh, the, the, the uh, units, they're just not in tune with the, with the policies and procedures that are in place to manage those incidents. So we'll do it that way. But, you know, one of the first ones we used was, was a mayday, obviously. And it was probably the one we did was born out of the Stricker street event. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, to the point where we're even using the same units that, that were on that incident. Right. So, um, so yeah. People, so, and we really listen and chief the, for people listening that aren't familiar with the Stricker street incident. Can you just give a quick, summary of of the incident that you're referring to sure so in in january 2022 we had uh you know a typical fire that we always have in a in a vacant row house and as people don't i mean there's like eighteen thousand vacant homes in baltimore city and that's where the majority of our fires are obviously um you know units arrived on the scene heavy fire showing 
um, made something that they've done a gazillion times, right? Pulled up, gave a size up, and then committed to an interior attack. And uh, probably five minutes in, it was a long built, you know, catastrophic failure of the roof system, which pancaked into the into the first floor in the basement, and uh, we lost three firefighters on that incident. So, um, so yeah, so even though we already had the sim program, it was already down. We were going down the road with it anyway. We had already secured the sims you share program. And uh, we were going down because we were in the process at that time of putting together an officer development program, which was going to culminate on the sixth day with a simulation type group thing. And so one of the things we immediately built in was these go or no goes, right? So we, that's what we call them. And it, it was really about, you know, making those snap decisions based on building conditions, fire conditions, and, you know, is there really a life safety hazard here, right? So um, so that was the initial initial uh, rollout of that. In, in that day, now we, we had a mass cash and we had like a group actually, it was more like a group exercise at that point, right? So it was... Uh, it was um, we would bring a company officer in, give an initial report. We'd have a, like a captain or a chief waiting outside. And then the company officer would leave the room. The chief will come in. And then based on those reports, like the, 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 the initial incident commander made entry. And then it was a mayday. But really, because what we want to do is we want to condition our battalion chiefs and our incident commanders, whoever they are. Right. To react immediately to that mayday situation. Right. So we. You know. Not not here to criticize anyone about what happened on Sugar Street, but I don't think we're we're we were fully prepared for our worst day, right? We we were lucky for a long time. We never had, and, and in the history of this department, quite frankly. So that's why I'm not critical of the people on the scene at that. We've never had an incident like that. I think you can go back, and I want to say it was like 1906. It was called the True Fit Fire. It was a commercial building in the downtown district that collapsed and killed five or six firemen. So we've never had anything like that. So. I think we were conditioned that we got away with it so long that it wasn't going to happen and then not necessarily fully prepared. So what we want to do now with these simulations is take an incident like that and you ask where they come from and build into that training like automatic. It should be an automatic response. This is what you, these are the steps you're immediately going to take. And it's based off of, you know, we got a pretty good, robust fire ground SOPs. Um, they're not perfect, obviously, because the fire ground's imperfect, but we, we build those incidents so that the the chief or whoever standing in front of that building can immediately respond to that. So, so I always joke with them after they get done the first time. I said, "Listen, every time you come out here, there's going to be a mayday. Prepare yourself for it, right? Because it want, we want it to be as automatic as you pulling up and giving up a size up on a three story brick dwelling with fire showing from the third floor, which is you know our bread and butter, right? And we want if there's a mayday, we want you to react the same exact way. We want it to be so repetitious that when it when something happens, it just comes out of you, right? Because you have you have you know you understand slide decks and things like that, and you have a slide in your brain for that situation. Yeah. You started right. off talking about recruit school and your performance training and getting new folks conditioned or aware of you know what to expect from your body when you're when you're responding, and and this is when they're just coming into the fire service, and this is all new stuff to them, right? So it's just the bells going off; it has their heart flying and. And so, but it's really a similar thing when I hear you talking about the mayday, you want that incident commander to be comfortable calling a mayday. Yes. In the sense absolutely. that 
in the sense that the first time he did it isn't standing in front of the building with the real May Day in front of him. He has to have built that slide tray up and exercise that neural pathway in his brain that says, when a May Day happens, when I hear these conditions, this is what I do. This is what it sounds like. And this is what it should look like. You want to get practice doing that. Just like you want new guys to get practice putting their gear on and getting on the rig on time. You know, obviously the stakes are a lot higher, but, um, you got to get people exposed to the, to the tasks you're going to expect them to do, especially when it's in a stressful environment, highly stressful environment. Yes, absolutely. And for a new recruit, that's just getting buttons buttoned, right? Right, right. Yeah. They're fumbling. Yeah, just <laughs> dawn goes off like, oh my God, I can't get these snaps. Yeah. And so like, so, so yeah, so we want to condition that into the chiefs, right? That, and and the, 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 the beautiful thing about simulations and, and, you know, like years ago, we used to do these mayday drills, right? And, and have some, you know, we get on the radio and in the, in the different firehouses or the same firehouse and like, you know, read from a script almost like, like give your lunar and then the chief would have a script to read. And like the beautiful thing about the simulations is we can build uncertainty into it. Right. Because we control our, our, first of all, like, you know, I haven't got, we haven't got that deep into it yet, but I have six actors in a room, right. Like that are, that are playing off of what the incident commander is doing. And based on what his, the incident commander's decision-making those company officers, and they're also feeding him, you know, some of that uncertainty, right? Like, you know, like, uh, you know, and again, I, I think uh, we talked a little bit, but I, I got some like guys that are absolutely incredible with this stuff. You know, they get their own air and they're, you know, they're screaming on the radio and you can hardly understand them. And the past devices is going off and it's, it's just, but what that does for the chief, again, it's like, you know, if everybody wore one of these biometric devices, they probably find out really quick. Just that experience has given them that visceral re- reaction to stress. Right. So. Um, but, yeah. So. So, you know, we build those incidents that way, like, you know, all that stuff that goes, you know, you, you, you know, there's information gaps, you know, just, you know, you don't have always no fire ever. And the one I had this morning, like you're not going to have all that information that you need to make decisions. Sometimes you're oper- a high rise, for example, and there, and there's another one that we do. You're pretty much operating in the blind, right? Like you might pull up and you might see the fire or smoke show them from whatever floor. And then the incident command post is in the lobby. Or if you're the operations chief, you're one floor below the fire. You're not seeing, you're mm-hmm. just hearing, right? So you're right. pretty much operating without, you know, those, those visual cues that might trigger you to do something. So now you're basically relying on the audible cues, right? Which is a great, another great component, I think for the simulation, because, um, I think a lot of times when people think simulation, they think visual, what, what can I see? What is that computer-based simulation showing me? But like you said, in a high rise, you may not be, you could be doing a simulation in a high rise and not have a lot of visual cues, but you're still able to set up the audio cues and the communication procedures that need to occur and build in, build in that um, picture in the IC's brain based on the people who do have exposure to the cues inside, right? Yes. And so yeah. what these simulations, I think, do to reinforce that is, you know, um, yeah, regardless, new chief or not, like a lot of chiefs in our department have never run a high rise, right? So what it does is it gives them that slide tray, like, okay, these, they're reporting this, um, you know, this is what I need to do. Or, um, you know, we'll, we'll give them, we'll throw at them like, hey, there's people on the roof, like Foxtrot, which is our police helicopter, right? It's mm-hmm. calling in communications. They're, they're calling on the roof and we'll just throw a bunch of apartments at them. Like 
There's people calling from apartment 1110, 1117, 1115. They're all trapped, right? So what that stuff does is it... um you know, I think it helps them um, in a way where if they, they they can be expecting it almost like, you know, you're in a, a high rise and you it's a residential high rise and you're going to have these issues, I think, um, almost every time. Right. Like you're going to get those multiple calls and you're going to get people going to the roof because they think somebody's going to come in a helicopter and pluck them off the roof. So, you know, issues with the stairwell. So we we really plug all that stuff in there and how we get there with that. Just to get back to it, like we'll listen to other jurisdictions that we if we can get the audio of something that that maybe, you know, went well or didn't go well, we'll take that audio and listen to it as a group. You know, we'll send it out and listen to it as a group or one in our own or jurisdiction, for example. And we'll build the simulations and the scripts based off of what happened. Actual instance, yeah. And the one we use for our high rise is specific to an incident from Montgomery County, Maryland, like that they had where it was all kind of things going. It was like just last, I think it was December of last year. I mean, they had maydays and they had, you know, a mass casualty, multiple patients. And it was a lot of stuff going on for that incident commander. And, uh, you know, so we'll take that information and build it into our simulations. Are you able to give a, an estimate of, you know, when, once you guys have an idea of, okay, we want to do a focus on this building type or this incident type, how long, uh, is the development process from inception of the idea to um, delivery to the first crew that's going to be able to use that sim? Yeah. So we, we um, just to give you an idea, I think we rolled this out in May. Um, I think we finally agreed like what we were going to do around January for the first one. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I guess three or four months we had that uh, one. It was a, it was a three story. It was three, three story rows detached. The other ones have been knocked down. You know, so it's a picture we took from our district. Um, and with, you know, heavy fire showing from two and then the May day and the third one, the, the end unit. So I think it took about four months to, to get that perfected and roll it out. Right. And it went through again, all that process of, you know, us beta testing it, beating it up, you know, again, editing, figuring out what looks good, what looks good. And about four months, um, I think we're getting faster. You know, really it's like, so again, all my um, uh, sim builders are are also operational people in the field, you know, with family allegations. So it's really when they have time, right? So, um, you know, we we rolled out a, I think around, we just rolled out a mass casualty for our um, EMS personnel, our chiefs and captains. And I think that was roughly three. So I guess, Three or four months, you know, if we really is that typical? Drove it, you know, like drove it home. We probably three or four months. Is that kind of typical though? Because you like, well, you'll spend a, a quarter of the year working on a, a focus area and then shift focus. Yeah. So, so what we just did, we finished running, and, and I thought it was important that we get that mayday. Uh, so what we'll try to do is we have four shifts, four, and we didn't really talk about. So we have four platoons, um, six battalions on each platoon, so six chiefs. And then, you know, we have captains on each shift in each battalion. So we'll try to run as many people as we can through that. So we touch everybody with it, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to get everybody for whatever reason. So I would guess, so we rolled that out in May and then around 
the end of August, we started with the, uh, we, we finally got the EMS one up and running, man. And then we had the high rise. So, and actually, so we just started the high rise a couple of weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, May, June, so roughly quarterly, we try to roll out a new one. You know, ideally we'd like to circle back and run them through the May day, the same, same exact sim, like with the same setup, same scenario, and just see how they perform, um, you know, based off the experience they had per- previously. Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up because I wanted to ask about that because you, you mentioned that you got some chiefs that haven't run a high rise. And so let's say they come in and they do the high rise sim and let's say they've never done one. And so they come in and it's it's not as good as everybody would like to see. Right. What happens then? Do they get to reboot and do it again? Is it just after action where you talk about it and then it's kind of a one and done or that's what I'm trying to get at is like, how do we, what, how are you guys answering the question or handling the challenge of providing enough repetition to incident commanders in these challenging scenarios? You're not just building the, your bread and butter. You're, you're actually trying to challenge them with some things that are outside the comfort zone. Cause it's not stuff they do all the time. How do you make sure that they get enough reps? Yeah. So that's the tough part, right? Because it, it's a, it's a, it's a, Personnel resource demanding. Uh, again, I, I expressed already the the challenges of the fire academy and just trying to do all that. You know, the important truck training and pumps training, yeah, and you right. know, we try to rotate companies through in service training. So uh, we're not there yet, honestly. Like I don't know the answer to that because uh, we're not there. Ideally, you'd like to like it to be a standalone program, right? That's that's um, you know, some chief calls you and says, "Hey, hey, man, like I've I don't feel comfortable with this high rise." Or I don't feel comfortable. I can run a mayday. Can can I set up a time and come out and yeah. knock it out? Presently, we only do it one day a week on Tuesdays, and we try to get three chiefs in that day. On, so on so the chiefs. way we got it worked out, we have six battalions, right? So what we try to do is we get try to get three, three. So the way it cycles, like this week I worked, I worked Monday and Wednesday, right? So next week I work Tuesday, Thursday, or it's probably a bad example. But when you cycle through that Tuesday twice in that period like you worked sunday tuesday so we try to get three and then when when i'm working tuesday thursday we try to get the next three and try Mm -hmm. to cover the whole shift on that battalion um and then you know there's people off work and things so we just try to cover it as best we can ideally i mean we really like to run you know as much as we can but we haven't figured that out yet because of base you know the resources are we know it's a resource challenging environment yeah when you get when you get three chiefs down, how long are they in the process? How long are they in the sim lab for? Yeah. So we bring one at a time. So, so I'll schedule, you know, I'll look, see who's working and I'll, you know, email the deputy chief and the shift command with the deputy chief as the shift commander. And I'll say, Hey, uh, can I have, you know, whatever chief it is at eight, 10. And then we kind of take a break for lunch because believe it or not, like that's somewhat a daunting to, to, to run that it. even from the actor's it. perspective. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like to try to give them a decent break. And then at one o'clock we get the last chief and we're usually wrap. We're usually there from seven to three. Right. And mm-hmm. we, we, uh, wrap it up. Now there are days when we are working on Sims where we implement like a, we, 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 a practice of one that maybe we're getting, for example, we're getting ready to go to, um, the subway and we want to, uh, we want to practice that and nail that down. and a couple and then not that one, but generally like we have a couple that are queued up and ready to go 
then mm-hmm. we now have to start the the editing process mm-hmm. until we can perfect it and get it ready. Because what we try to do is have the next one ready to go. When we cycle, when we think we've covered it as best we can with personnel in the field, then we want to move right on to the next scenario, whatever that, is, whatever it may be again. And right. uh, I like to try to keep it a secret, of course, if they listen to this, so they're going to know what's next. But, you know, I like to try to keep it a secret because it's not really going to do them. And I don't want them. To, I don't want people to fail. Right. Yeah. I want them to learn. That's the right. goal. Right. We want right. them. to. But if they know the subway and they read up on the subway before they come in there, that, you know, which is good. It's great. Like, which they should read the subway. But we kind of want them to see, like, this is why it's important to stay on top of this stuff without this program like you should probably be on top of these things so mm-hmm. so yeah so i'm probably gave away a secret uh my team's probably not going to be too happy with me when they, when they- <laughs> <laughs> well at the end of the day it's about changing behavior right so if yes. somebody gets a little yeah. heads up and it changes their behavior and they dive in and study up it's mission yeah. accomplished in some in one perspective and trust yeah. me, tell, trust me when I tell you, we can tell when somebody had a heads up <laughs> because we have the, you know, we have the anecdotal data that shows that, you know, when they get in an environment, they all, you know, we can tell who's underperforming or overperforming yeah. based on what they, yeah. they learn. Let's talk about the learning environment a little bit, because in our earlier conversation, um, I, I was encouraged. I, I, it resonated with me when you described the kind of learning environment that you guys are shooting for. So, um, I, it sounded to me like you have a nice mix of really trying to create realism and challenge your members and you're doing it in the, with the spirit of this isn't about failing. And if you're not where you need to be, how do you guys handle that situation? How do you, how do you balance the, the realistic challenge and putting them in the hot seat and also making sure that it's, it's beneficial, right? That, that there's going to be a positive outcome. Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, I think it starts out with just the, um, I think some people are apprehensive and, and not everybody, like, like, I, you know, I told you before, like these, it's amazing the re- the response that we've gotten. Like like for people like just a, just a funny story. I had a uh, captain from EMS in there the other day, right? And for 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 the mass casualty, and her husband is a captain suppression, and he just he's getting ready to make battalion chief probably probably around the first of the year, and he would and he's been trying to get in there, but you know again that's limited resources, limited exposure, so we can't get to him for whatever reason. And he actually, she said to me, she goes, you know, he's really mad because he's been trying to get out of here for the last three months. And, uh, and, um, I, I, and she had just come back on duty from tearing her ACL or something, some leg injury. And she goes, and I was back a week and I'm back out and, you know, I'm out here doing it. He's kind of, he was kind of irritated by it. So, <laughs> so that kind of stuff. So what we try, so that's part of it. So, so that word of mouth helps, right? Like, so people don't come out there with that are standoffish I and mean, you get them once in a while, right? I mean, it is what it is. Um, but I think we, we kind of, because we did this in officer development in a group setting, they understand the Sims and, and, and by the way, and even in that setting, we had, uh, resounding, like the, the, the feedback we were getting because we had surveys was resounding, like, man, this is great. The department should be doing a lot more of this. And that wasn't even in this, in this, um, iteration of what we're doing now It's in a group and it was like company officers and chiefs and things. So. So, you know, we kind of bring them out and we, we kind of go over the scenario with them in advance, like not really a scenario, but we, 
tell them what to expect and say, hey, have you been through officer development? You've kind of seen the program. It's a little different in that you're going to be standing here by yourself and you're going to hear size ups and reports. And it's going to be just like you're on the incident scene. And so all we want you to do is look at the screen, listen to the reports and manage the incident accordingly based off of our policy. And we kind of have a book, you know, like a instructor's guide kind of book that's there that kind of gives the direction that they need. And it's really, um, you know, ease them into it. Right. And then they come in. And, and, and so we were really torn between like giving them, because what we do is we give them a mayday, right? Like off the back, which is probably not fair. Right. But, you know, when I always say like, well, you can go out the door right now and this, we, you could get this, right. You could be heading back across town. So when we bring them in and they do it, and then we also, we, we had a lot of discussion about this, right? Like, so we wanted to either give them a softball, like our bread and butter, right. With some challenges, or give them something difficult, and then maybe if they don't have a you know a very good response, then they get this bread and butter or softball that they leave there with, like we talked about training scars, right? We don't mm-hmm. want them to leave there with training scars, so we kind of give them one that they can handle, or they normally would handle with pretty you know that that we're used to handling. So that's kind of the way we do it. But so really, where it, I think where we make it is the the benchmark sheet we develop based strictly off of our of our procedures, right? Like it's no secret. I tell them it's no secret sauce. Like it's basically our procedures and we sit down with them and it becomes more of a coaching session, right? It become, and it becomes like, I'm not evaluating you. Like I'm not, uh, first of all, I'm a battalion chief. You're a battalion chief. I'm not in a position to evaluate you. Right. And you know, and I'm not perfect by no stretch of the imagination. I make mistakes all the time, you know, and again, probably just lucky, not that good. And so we sit down together and we discuss and this is where the feedback from the audio comes in, right? Because if there's any question, they can go back and listen to the audio, right? So so we sit down with them and we go over this benchmark and we talk about, hey, did you do this? Or why did you do this? Or why didn't you do this? Like, what were you thinking when you did this? You know, like, what what uh, visual cues or audio or audible cues or... And, and you know, you, you get all that stuff, like auditory exclusion, like they don't remember saying things or doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, I've had them come in there and like, there's a mayday and like, they're going to evacuate the building. And I was like, whoa, whoa, why are you evacuating the building? Right. But, but when we get done, I say, do you remember saying that? And they don't even remember mm-hmm. saying it. Right. Because the memory is valuable, obviously as right. we know. So, uh, so it's really a, um, I guess that environment puts everybody at ease and it's not like, you know, like teacher student or, you know, superior to inferior. It's, it's a, it's a collaborative discussion hot wash after action which they're invaluable as we know um and it's really a discussion about what they did or did and if there's any you know it starts to get like well i know i said that i didn't i say okay well just just go back and listen to the audio maybe i missed it right yeah and that's how we kind of handle that um you know and again i think we talked about like you know with my experience and there's there's people in the department who are battalion chiefs who have more years than me but not experienced. And then there's another chief. And so we kind of limit it to, you know, our three most experienced chiefs doing that piece of it because we don't want it to come become, you know, well, the, well, how's this person's only got a year as a battalion chief is out here trying to tell me. Right. So that we, that would just add a whole nother element. So we try to right. eliminate all that and just make it more of a collaborative after action hot wash or however, however you want to describe it. 
I think the feedback to me, the feedback piece is so important, especially when you're getting limited reps. If you're only getting to go through it once, you do what you do, right? You do some things well, you do some things not so well. And being able to have that feedback at the end, I think is super important. And being able to listen to yourself, I think would be very helpful. Um, because we can go on these incidents in real life and oftentimes you're not getting any feedback. And so like you've mentioned a couple of times, sometimes it's not because we're good. It's because we're lucky. And Absolutely. if you, if I don't know if you're familiar with the Swiss cheese theory that, you know, when all those holes finally line up yes, is when yes. you have the, 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 uh, the line of duty death, but unless yes. those holes aren't lined up, you know, you might be doing something that is contributing yeah. to a problem down the road, but you got away with it. And without any feedback yeah. to say, Hey, we need this to look different. You know, right. I think ideally for me, what would really be excellent. I know the challenge that you're up against and what everybody's up against, right. Is the scope of work that we have, all the things we need to train on and how uh, labor intensive it is to run one of these Sims that you're doing, but to be able to get that feedback and then turn around and immediately start to get to practice that pathway integrating that feedback, right? So yes. now the last time I did it was done the way it's supposed to look. And that gives yes. me something else to think about and to practice. Sure. You know, yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's a great suggestion because, you know, we just, I'm not that we're like, like some machine pumping people through out of there, but we, we want them to get the most out of it. Um, but you're probably right. We probably, it would probably be good just to run them right back through it. Right. And say, yeah. okay, now run yeah. back through it and see, and then, you know, I didn't even think about this. Maybe that's a suggestion for someone that maybe didn't do really well at all. Like missed a lot of the, you know, if we, if we, if we equated it to a promotional exam, missed a lot of the benchmarks. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say fail. Cause again, I'm not evaluating them, but, uh, but yeah, great suggestion. Like just, and I, and I agree, you'll probably get more bang for your buck, right? You'll probably, you know, uh, get more uh, orange juice out of the orange if you do it that yeah. way. Right. So to speak. I wonder if, you know, when you're, when you're teaching physical skills and early on, you know, you, you break them down into individual components. So you're not expecting the whole skill to be done. Um, you're just working on a, a piece of the skill. I wonder if there's a, any value in, if there's an area of the sim that didn't go well, right. Instead of redoing the right. whole thing, let's right. just look at that. Let's look at that portion of the, and let's do that again. Show me what yeah. that should sound like. How would you, now that you know what you know, based on the feedback and our, our collaborative conversation, let's run through that two minute segment again and give you the opportunity to say, to do it the way you want it to sound next time. Right. Cause then that's not right. a softball, but that's like the opportunity to say, to process that information another, in another level. Right. Yeah. We right. had a conversation about it and then I got the opportunity to see it, recognize it, have the thought and then do the action. You know, just now, that's a, fantastic just because I think that absolutely reinforces, you know, learning, yeah. right? Like, right. you know, and, and again, like we know we learn, unfortunately, in the fire service, we learn from our mistakes, right? Like, mm -hmm. so that is a perfect, you know, that's perfect, actually, yeah. to think about it that way. So that's something I may actually, I appreciate it because I may <laughs> start to look at it from that perspective, right? Like, yeah. okay, this person really struggled with, you know, just let's just say the high rise, like just, uh, you know, developing search teams for the upper floors. Like they didn't really, they, they've really missed that. Right. So mm -hmm. run them back through that piece. I would say, okay, what are you going to do for search and rescue? And then after we have that collaborative conversation yeah. and yeah, yeah that, that might be a, you know, just as an example, but that's a, yeah, that's a great, great piece of uh, advice. I read, a, 
I read a quote from General Mattis recently that said, um, failure is, I mean, I'm going to get this wrong, but essentially it was that failure shows you what right looks like. Right. Yeah, so it's absolutely. like, it's like normalizing failure. Like, yeah, we're going to do them wrong, but we need that opportunity then to do it right. Right. We, yeah. we, we recognize I mean, I where we need to be. be perfect. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're perfect, you're probably not going to learn anything if, you know, yeah. uh, you're not going to learn anything about yourself. Certainly if you're perfect and, and I don't right. think anyone's perfect, certainly right. in that fire ground incident command situation, like there are so many variables and we try to, implement that stuff into the simulations like we we you know like I, I think we discussed this like if we got somebody that's really good right we'll we'll challenge them in different ways like mm-hmm. our actors will 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 i'll call from you know we have two radios so i'll call to the room and say okay that you know this person's you know they got it um we want to challenge them and so do this like let's let's push them beyond their limits. Cause you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. So, mm-hmm. and we'll push them beyond their limits to try to make them even that much better. Right. So um, I think it's important because, you know, if somebody, let's just say somebody's like the Michael Jordan of like fire chiefs. Right. And goes in there and like destroys it. And then, you know, they're probably going to walk out. Like, I don't need to do that. Like, so we want to try to challenge them and ways. So they're getting something out of it. It's worth yeah. their while to come out there and do it. Right. Yeah. So you guys sounds like you've really built a fantastic program in, in a relatively short period of time. How did you get started? How did you, how did you get ideas for how you, what you wanted your program to look like? Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because we just got a, uh, um, a request from Frederick County, Maryland, who, who recently had a line of duty death uh, within the last two years. Um, to come view our program, right? Like, so, so we're like, oh, so the word's kind of out, but we actually went to, uh, we went to, and I think I told you this, like how we got Sims you share, like we were involved in, a, and I don't know if I should say the other, the other uh, software. I don't, I don't, yeah, I think we can just talk about the, the differences in, in functionality that we talked about. We don't have to talk yeah, about what yeah, it was. So, but... the, so we had another software program that believe it or not, we had since 2009, right? And I, I wasn't involved at all, except I knew people who were working on it. Right. And and um, so, you know, I, I do some networking. Um, so I just called a buddy of mine and, and they were struggling with building Sims off of that program. Right. So I'm like, what's the problem? Like, so let me call my buddy down to Howard County, Maryland. Right. Like, so he said, yeah, my buddy he said, come like the guy who runs the Sims said, come down. So I'm thinking, you know, probably very ignorantly, like, hey, like this is the same it's all the same. Like there can't be a bunch of software out there like this. Right. <laughs> so we go down there and the chief that was with me, that's the chief that's retiring at the end of this month. And, and, you know, we should give some credit to him as well because he was involved in, in the startup of this. And, um, he, uh, he, um, we sat down with the, the guy from Howard County kind of, you know, takes a picture that he has on his computer and he basically builds a, just a basic sim in about like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes and runs it like and shows me how the fire is progressing and things. I'm like, wow, like, what's the problem? Right. I turned <laughs> him up to the, to, to the other chief. I'm like, what's the problem? Like this guy just did this is this something. And, you know, the other software was really hard to manage. Our state agency uses it. So that's why I think a lot of departments were trying to use it. So it will be consistent. Um but what we found out was, is that it was completely different software. It was web-based and it had all these different features, you know, it's a subscription, which you're going to pay one way. Just, just to give you an example, we have, if I'm, yeah, I could be wrong about this, but we had 
upwards of like 10 or 15,000 bucks invested in the other software. And to my knowledge, we've never run a simulation with it. And I'm like, and that's laptops and everything and upgrading the yeah. software on the laptops and things like that. But so, so he said, no, it's a program called Sims you share. And I was like, is that what we have? And the chief's like, no, we don't have this. This isn't going to help me. I said, well, wait a minute. Like, this looks like it's much more user-friendly and like, we're in a time crunch because we need to roll this out. And this is like November of 21, right? I said, we need to roll this out in March of 22. Like, so we need to get moving. So ultimately, like I walked out of there, called the, the, the training academy chief and she's fantastic with, you know, like open to, to suggestions. And there was some pushback from above in that they knew how, and the, the chief that was the assistant chief at the time, he was involved in that simulation program as well because he, he was, you know, doing some other stuff for Mifri, but um, he, there was, a, but eventually they, I said, look, this is so easy to use. I mean, you know, that I downloaded the app that day, you know, you can get on your phone and then I just playing with it. And then, you know, the guy in Howard County gave me the number to Jonathan K who was, and he called, I called him. He answered the phone. Like that day we were leaving Howard County and I said, Hey, and he, he says, yeah, I'll set up a zoom meeting. So eventually we got there, we got the, the software and it's been, uh, it's been fantastic. And, 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 you know, like it has a ton of other features. It ain't just this simulation program we're doing now, you know, there's a battalion level element to this where we can, um, you know, on a five degree day when we can't go outside and train, like I can basically take a SIM, assign my company all, and you know, I have about seven firehouses, 10 companies under me and assign them all a role on an incident. And then, kind of show, you know, assign them like, you're going to see this, you're going to see this part of it and run, let them run through a simulation, you know, a mayday or whatever. So maybe I want my lieutenants to be proficient at handling the initial steps of a mayday. And I build that into that simulation. So we haven't quite got to the point. That's the ultimate goal is we'd like to roll that out as a battalion level program, but we haven't quite uh, started down that path yet. I think that we need to, the sooner the better, like, right. Because I think if there's so, because of the feedback we got from our officer development piece of it, where, you know, we brought, you know, 300 people, you know, from our lieutenants, captains, chiefs, and our senior firefighters out there. And they seen it. I think that it's, it's invaluable in that way. And something else I just learned is that, so for example, we have subways, right? We have valve pits. Valve pits are where we supply the water from. Like I've just found out, like we can go in that valve pit take multiple pictures and essentially do a virtual um, tour of that valve yeah. mm -hmm. and show like, you know, take some detailed pictures and kind of put it on a computer screen and show people like, okay, um, this is where, this is how you enter the valve pit, you know, and then this is, and just, you know, build the different slides. Um, ironically enough slides, right. Build the slides so that they can see every aspect of, because the valve pits are considered confined spaces. So except for a few throughout the city, we can't get in them, right? Because, you know, there's a whole, you know, we got to be on air, right. we got an air monitor. So, you know, and, and not everybody's in the position to get into them. So that's another fantastic piece that we haven't quite ventured. So to get back to us, so so then the the uh, after I left and the guy from Howard County said, yeah, everybody is using this software around here, right? <laughs> like, really? So, you know, Anne Arundel County, which is south of Baltimore, um, PG County, Montgomery County. Fairfax, you know, all the all the surrounding jurisdictions, which is fantastic because then it, 
if you're running issues or you want to collaborate, like we run a lot of mutual aid with Montgomery County, I mean, uh, Anne Arundel County. So down the southern end of our city. So if we wanted to get with them and build a simulation that, you know, incorporates some um, mutual aid, we can do that. We can because they are involved. So we went and visited PG County, Anne Arundel County, D.C. uses it. Uh, I didn't go was available for that but a couple people from the team went down and, and viewed dcs and, and basically what we found is they're all kind of running it the same way and then you just you know you tailor it to what works for you best based on your facilities and your resources right yeah. so that's kind of how we got where we are it sounds to me like if you could empower your battalion chiefs with access to the program it might be a way to get around that huge labor intensive requirement, right? Where you got to get, try to get three chiefs down to the training center on a given day. Um, And then if you have, if the, if those chiefs are able to run Sims, like you said, you said a five degree day, is that what you called it? Yeah. yeah, Five degrees. What's probably where you're at. That's probably, uh, (laughs) that's probably normal, right? In the winter. (laughs) But uh, yeah, if you can't get outside, everybody's sitting in their house being able to get a very similar experience with communication and what yes. they see visually and get and a way to get more reps, right? Yes, if, if, absolutely. If, and that, and if you can scale it down to a battalion versus a, a department your size where you're talking thousand plus members. Yes. And, and, and so that's the, and that's, and that's the beauty of it. We talk about the reps, right? And that's what it's really, you know, because we know the more you do it, better you're hopefully going to be right. right. I, I just think it's, it's invaluable. And so like, for example, you know, another path we want to kind of go down with this is we want to build it into our approval process. So all of our, all of our firefighters get approved to act lieutenant, all of our lieutenants, well, they, there's no really acting captain position, but the captains get approved to act battalion chief. So, you know, if we could just build it for those various levels and, 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 you know, like where I'm at, the, the young firefighters, they get a ton of experience, right? So, but you may go to another part of the city, like the, the, the east part of our city or the northeast, where they don't run that many fires. You know, it's a lot of occupied homes and newer homes. It's an area where it's gone through some, um, you know, rehabilitation or whatever. So those people may get approved to act lieutenant and they never had to sit in the front seat on a fire, right? right? And given mm-hmm. a size up. And so we can give that tool to the battalion chief who is responsible for approving that person. And, you know, like I already do it for my officers. Of course, I, I'm in a you know a position where I have access to it already. Right. But, you know, if any chief asked me like, Hey, I'm getting ready to approve this guy, you know, and, and again, any of us like in the group, cause it's 15 of us. So we're spread out. Well, you know, like, Hey, we're getting ready to approve this person. Um, can we get a SIM to kind of just give them like some basic size up, take command, you know, give your initial reports, your BIRs and stuff. And, uh, you know, and so I think that is an invaluable tool, for, especially for those people who don't necessarily get that experience of, and even listening to your officer pull up and do that, you know, two times a week or three times a week, because in where I'm at, that's what's happening. Like those firefighters. So it makes everybody better, right? Like, yeah. even though they're not getting that experience of actually, you know, get going in the fire like all the time, but they are getting experience of like, I'm sitting in the front seat. This is what I say. And this is how I got to react to what I see. And um, so that that's another invaluable piece of this program because it's web-based. Like they could actually call me. I could be home and I could say, okay, go in. Here's the code. Yep. 
go to it. Right. And it's, and that's yeah. the fantastic piece of it. You can really do it from anywhere. Right. Um, and then, you know, I don't think we talked about this, but we have communications in our simulation lab. We actually have commu- a communications piece, right? And they're using it to train their dispatchers for these events where communications doesn't always go the best, right? So they're actually trying to use it to train their dispatchers to become better in these events where the chief is overwhelmed and there's a lot of radio communication mm-hmm. going on. So, you know, we can even send them the link and they can look at what the, the chief may be looking at in that scenario. So that's another piece that, you know, um, our program has that I think is a little unique in that. And that was a recommendation from the chief of, of the fire communications bureau. She came and when we were introducing it to the to command staff, she, we invited her out and, and her training officer. And they were like, you know, it would be much better if we like could be at our console because then they can take control of the radio if they need to and do whatever right. needs to be done. So it, it's actually so much that, you know, just simulation in general, this program is fantastic in that it's, it's so uh, pliable and, and mobile that you can pretty much, you know, do anything with it. It's, 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 a, and again, for me, like, you know, like I wasn't even, you know, involved in, I had that moment, like, man, this is, you know, this, and probably selfishly, like I get so much experience. I don't, I don't worry about it. Like, right. I'm going to get the, the rep. And again, like I, I'm not that I'm perfect, but I, I could use the practice as well. Right. But yeah, so it's been a fantastic enlightening for me, like to see and really what to see how people reacting to it and embracing it and then yeah. saying, I want more. Like I want yeah. more of this. Like, so you're, you know. you're kind of in a unique position because of your role as an adjunct instructor and intimately involved with the SIM program. And it sounds like you might use it more than, or have opportunity to use it more than oppor- other battalion chiefs who might come through and they get trained, but because you're part of the program, it sounds like you're maybe some of your captains and some of your LTs are getting some exposure that others aren't just because of your. Yeah. So so that's the other part. And you're, you might be an interesting case study here. What is your experience of um, seeing behavior changes in your captains and lieutenants that you had the opportunity to give additional reps to with the, with the, uh, Sims training. Yeah. And you can you, definitely see, let me tell you where you really see it. Those where? 15 people on that group, they're really good. Like mm. you can see it and hear it, you know, cause you know, they're on my shift. I work a lot of overtime. So I get to, you, those people are really good to the point where, um, one of the, one of the, the lieutenants that's on, he's pretty, he did pretty well in the captain's so actually, one of, and he's one of my lieutenants, right? So he's definitely exposed to it, but he's also on that group. He topped the cap, the, the most recent captain's list. He's a captain now, right? But I think, and he actually told me, he goes, you know, from being in here, like the tactical piece of that test was a piece of cake. Mm. He goes, because I was so used to running through this. And they're, and really it's just exercises and procedures, right? So, but we're doing it so much in the, in the, in the building process that, you know, and, and, and even and I, and I think we discussed this, all the, the the lieutenants and captains list just got the, the list just got published or whatever back in July. Um, a lot of those people who did well actually came through that officer development program. And, you know, I run into them all the time. They're like, man, chief, like that was that led day six of officer development and going through that simulation, even in that iteration of it. Right. They were like, it helps so much. Like, 
the tactical piece of it anyway. So, so yeah, you can see it. And that's the other, it's, it, I mean, it's, the, the, it's paying dividends, right? It's just like the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. It's, it's a simple equation, repetition. Guys that get to do it a lot, get good right. at it, you know? That's how you become um, an expert, right? And you build those, yeah. you know, you, you know and, and from, from thinking fast and thinking slow, like mm. if you, you know, your system one has that slide in its brain and it's seen it before, it's probably going to recall it pretty quickly and you're right. going to be able to operate in that environment, right? We'll link that book in the show notes so the people that don't know what we're talking about here can dig into that if they want. But you're talking about Daniel Kahneman's. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned secret sauce before. There is, it's not a secret sauce. It's regular exposure to realistic conditions under rigorous conditions, you know, something similar to what you're going to face in reality. And being having the freedom and and the ability to screw it up, right in the simulation yes. lab, because Absolutely. if we don't get if we don't get sufficient repetitions to practice and get good at something, we're going to screw it up. That's just Absolutely. how it is. It's not. It's nobody. Nobody's born with this with these skills. You have to develop them. You have to. Yes. You have to build those slides out. And so, it's your your program sounds um, really awesome. <laughs> yeah. You guys yeah, haven't been at it that long. Again, we're in its, it's in its emphasis. Right, I think right. we can go so many places with it. Like, I just think like, you know, like we do the, uh, the, the mass casualty. And so one piece, you know, once you become the EMS branch director, right. You've got all these responsibilities. So we kind of box the EMS chief and then that by having a suppression chief on the scene, that's dealing with like a vehicle underneath our major highway. That's causing structural issues. So, and like basically, hey, I showed up and these there's this festival going on. All these people are passed out for whatever reason. And uh, you got to just take the EMS branch and run it. But ideally, like eventually we like to get it like where we can put those two pieces together. Right. Like and so that, you know, multiple incident commanders can kind of and it really helps with ICS. And I think that's that's what I think where you asked where it kind of helped me. I think for me, it's kind of helped me build my ability to implement ICS on the scene, right? Because because I'm coaching people continuously about, you know, breaking the incident down into small parts. Mm-hmm. So when I get on the scene, I'm thinking that way now, right? Like, so, but I wasn't before. I always kind of did it like, on, like, you know, this is just the way we do stuff. And right. um, so now, like, but again, you don't realize until you get in an environment, like how much, you know, how much has to get done on a high rise or a mass casualty. So you got to be able to break those pieces down. But I think it would be really interesting if we could, you know, we can do it from, from my office on a five degree day and, or have like a couple rooms and bring a couple chiefs out to run an incident. One as the Charlie division, one as the rescue group supervisor, one in those various roles that you would normally see on an incident scene that's pretty dynamic with a lot of tactical challenges. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so I think that the sky's the limit with, it. I just think we can do so much more with it. And like I said, the piece about the, uh, building inspection piece, like take going and taking pictures or, or the, the subway and just kind of making that like a, a pre-fire planning program or something like, you know, and that, that's something I just heard the other day. I was like, man, that's pretty, pretty fantastic. I never even thought about doing that. Yeah. Right. Well, I can tell you have a lot of enthusiasm for this part of your work that this is uh it looks like you're having a good time doing this. Yeah, actually, I, like I said, like at this point in my career, like, you know, if you're look, if I was looking for something to reinvigorate me, um, this is definitely it. 
you know, not that I was, I enjoy what I do. Like, and that's why I'm still a battalion chief because I truly enjoy, you know, running the fires and, and being in the field with, with, with the, with the guys and the gals. But, um, this, uh, and I think I told you this, like, this is something that really, um, because I see the dividends, it's pain. And again, it's not, not everybody, uh, improves when they leave there. So, you know, we, maybe a chief might call me say, Hey, you ran them through the Sims and they weren't that, you know, effective on the last fire. Like, so I try to figure out when that person comes through the next time, like, how can I get through to this person with, with the coaching? Right. So, but yeah, man, I I really enjoy this, this, uh, what I'm doing here. Like, you know, I just think it's so, it's such a valuable tool that I wish I would have had prior to making chief because essentially I was a captain and then, and I got promoted and the order came out and they said, new report. And then I relieved the person who I was going to relieve. And they say, here's the radio, here's the pager. Here's what's going on today. Have a nice day. Good and luck. you're, you're on. And, I, and again, I was in a pretty busy engine company. So I had some of that experience and it wasn't like, I was like, Oh my God, I came from like never running a fire to running a fire, but yeah. I never really had a, acted up a ton. So I didn't have that right. experience, but it would have been really nice for me able to do those size ups and handle some uh, tactically challenging stuff before I actually did it. Yeah. You know, I, I just relied on like, I, you know, talk about repetition. Um, and I probably learned this through my Marine Corps experience. Like if you read something and say something enough, you're never going to forget. Right. And so like that repetition and I would just read the policies over and over and over again. So I at least could recall it if I needed it. But this is a much better way, I think, to manage that because it's almost like, you know how we learn we're tactile we're tactile learners right in a, in a in a sort of a uh, weird way the mental game for a chief is 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 a is the tactile learning right so now i can see it i can do it and i have this you know this hot wash that's reinforcing what i did or didn't do and it's helping me learn right so that's mm-hmm. really in a nutshell it's kind of a you know great thing well yeah you mentioned an important piece of it i think too again we think about the um simulations often being visualized or thinking of them as just a visual thing, but managing a tactical worksheet, managing accountability, you know, you look Correct. at the NIOSH five and accountability being one of those. Yes. So trying to manage a radio, trying to get all the visual cues that you need to understand what's happening, fire behavior, biz and building construction wise, and then throwing on top of that needing to keep track of where everybody is, you mm-hmm. know, that's a lot of stuff to handle in a stressful environment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's another important rep that you can do with this simulation. Yeah. And um, so that's, and, that, and that's where like we talked about the driver and, and the, and, and so that's the other piece of it. Like it actually, um, and we kind of just got the drivers in February, right? So we had a second iteration of our officer development this past spring and we incorporated that into the day six, like having somebody, and that was the early stages of it. But now, the drivers or we call them incident command technicians, they're coming with the chiefs to the lab. So they're handling and it's and also what that does is is um it, it provides that coordination because I'll watch sometimes and some of the chiefs that maybe haven't embraced it, they don't even like they're trying to, for example, um just a couple of weeks ago I had a chief that like, okay, give me my third alarm assignments over the radio, right? And I'm like, and and the technician had already looked at the MDT and written everything down. Right. And I was, and so now you're tying up, you're in the middle of a mayday. You have a third alarm. You're getting communications to tie up the radio for a minute and a half, reading you back a third alarm that your technician 
as the tech, he's actually standing there and probably doesn't realize it, that the technician is checking off the units that he, that are on the third alarm. And he's looking at the board, the technician has, right. And I'm like, Mm. why? And afterwards I'm like, why didn't, why didn't you like communicate a little bit? And that's why it's important to have a consistent technician as well. Why didn't you just turn to him and say, Hey, who do I got? What? So actually that piece of it and with the, with the uh, driver technician is actually very, this training has been very useful in that way. We're trying to get the chiefs to embrace that, you know, that help actually. I mean, it's help. That's what it is essentially. Yeah. And that you don't have to worry about that because that's what, what he's here. I mean, you have to do worry about it overall, but you have someone here that can manage that just so, so that is kind of built into this, into the uh, cake as well. Like the recipe, like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to use these as a, as an opportunity to get these chiefs to embrace this technician and train the technicians. This is what you're, and we actually do a hot wash with the technician outside of what we do with the chief. So we mm-hmm. sit down and say, okay, these are your responsibilities. Did you help the chief find alternate water sources? And, and did you help set up, you know, primary and secondary staging areas? And did you deal with the, the police and the citizens? And so we kind of go through all that stuff with them as well. So that's another piece of it that we didn't even hardly touch on here, but that's, it's been fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm excited to f- see where you guys are at in another year, another two years, you know, as you figure this thing out and, and refine your process. I look forward to checking back in with you and, and seeing just where you guys take it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and anything you want to discuss, you know, like we talked about some other topics, like, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm, yeah, this has been a, this is the first podcast I've ever done, by the way. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's my, been, it's, it's my been, ninth. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. yeah right. We're, right. Bo- we're both, we're both rookies. <laughs> yeah. No, so yeah, this was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I just think that, you know, for anybody out there, you know, and again, you can, uh, we talked about this, you can provide my contact information um, that wants to discuss it further or talk about how we do it. I mean, I'm telling you like, this is um, again, and you can, again, at 25 years and, and I'm probably in the twilight of my career, I probably got five or six more years left. This is actually a rear bigger and it's exciting to see. And, and, and because I can see the value in it, right? Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's it, for any department that's even thinking about it and there's all costs obviously. Right. So um, it's, you know, incorporated into your officer development program, incorporate it wherever you can, because I think it pays dividends, especially for departments that may not get a ton of service. Right. Yeah. This is a perfect way to take, you know, one of the things we want to do is a ship fire. We don't, we don't have, we got ports, but we don't really have a policy in place to manage ship fires. Like we don't even know what that looks like. Right. So yeah. one of the things we want to do in the simulation lab simulation is build a ship fire and off of that, possibly develop a policy for response, mm. you know, whatever that looks like. I don't even know what we obviously have to reach out to people who deal with that on a regular, sure. but, um, but that's one of the things we think about, like these incidents like that, you know, that you may not experience in your jurisdiction, brush fires, whatever the case may be. You know, you know, the big thing now is is electric vehicle fires. So, yeah. you know, we want to build that out and, and just so that we have that those experiences that we otherwise wouldn't get. We can introduce our people to and again, start to build those reps and side decks so they have some cue for response. Right. Like they yeah. have something to rely on to to be able to at least begin to manage that incident without winging it, essentially. Right. Yeah. And the confidence that it gives them you know, going in so that when you are that new person stepping into those shoes, um, you don't, you're not going to have the experience deck that you're going to have five, 10, 15 years later. 
but right. being able to give them sufficient confidence that they have built enough. They've, they've demonstrated to themselves and everybody else in training with um, the simulations, which gives them a sense of confidence that they wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, the military has been using simulations for God knows how. And I just think, you know, they're, they're in bad. And I, I'm just glad at this point that, uh, and I don't know how long they've been, you know, listening to uh, Chief Nee, like, you know, he sounded like it, whatever he was doing initially was pretty rudimentary. And mm. it eventually the software came along. Right. And it really right. helped. It really changed the game for simulations, which, you know, again, it's been fantastic. And, and I, where this goes next, maybe it's virtual reality at some level. Right. Like, you know, you walk Chief walks in, you hand him a headset and uh, here's your radio. And, and and it looks so realistic to him, you know, that he's just standing in, he's in a, you know, he can really em engross themselves in that yeah. environment and make decisions. Well, you bring up an extra, an interesting point there, because it's the whole idea about how realistic does a simulation have to be to have value. And um, talking to people and, and um, Deputy Chief Phil Jost from Seattle Fire, he's retired and he's been on the podcast. Talking with him, um, he's actually, uh, I don't have the reference that he provided. I haven't purchased it yet, but what he said was that it doesn't have to be like movie grade realistic. Sure. It has to be accurate, right? Sure. Absolutely. So when you look at the building, the whatever fire you have there has to, has to be behaving like fire sure. behaves. Absolutely. And so that's just an important distinction I think to make to guys that are out there building Sims is that, it's a big responsibility. You, you can't, the software Sims you share will let you put together a Sim very quickly, but it, you have mm -hmm. to make sure that you're building it in a way that, because people are going to be building slide trays off of this thing that you build. Sure. So it needs, yeah. you need to have the flow path accurate and, and reflecting yeah. reality so that they build good, build good slides. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up because I think initially we were struggling with that. And now I think our, the people are really good at making the fire grow. And if, it, if it's not like in, in the, in the editing process, like we'll tell each other, like, Hey, that doesn't look, you know, yeah, you, you know can't. why they're good at it? Cause they got so many reps now. You're right. <laughs> right. And really, like, like sometimes I'll be like, uh, we go from like raging fire to out. And I'm like, that that's not, we got to make that at least. <laughs> we're you know, good. Like, we that and, and that's where we were early on. But now I think we've, we figured out like how to make it like worse. Like I told you, like, if a chief, it might be smoke showing. If a chief doesn't make certain decisions, eventually, you know, we make it grow and we have slides that can yeah. change the dynamic of that. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Like it's really, and again, I think I told you this, like everybody on our team watched the reading smoke um, video that's out mm -hmm. so that they get a general idea. Like this is what it's supposed to look like. Right. You know, or some of those UL studies, where they show yeah. you that, you know, the fire dynamics. So, so yeah, so absolutely. And that's an important, cause again, those visual cues. And like I told you, like initially we had nothing on the scene and the, and some of the, not from, but from officer development, I learned really quickly, like the officers would stand there and say, okay, is somebody here? What's going on? So now uh, our personnel that build them, um, that team, they can cut our own people out of, because everybody takes fire ground pictures, right? They cut our own people out, ladders, hoses, and they put them on the scene. Or, you know, like if the chief orders, uh, uh, um, you know, ladder, ladder pipe operations, here comes one of our ladder pipes up 
on the scene. So we have a slide right. or if they do, uh, you know, they want to do the, the, the uh, hit it hard from the yard. We'll have a firefighter slide that slides them in and knocks it down from the exterior. So, but those yeah. visual, and, I can, and that was one of the points of emphasis I had was like, we have to build this in there. Like, because it's giving the chief at least some of that tactile feedback they would get on the fire ground. And it's important because if you don't see it happening, you don't think it's happening you don't know what to do. So, so, you know, it's not perfect by no means, but it's, it's really, they've really come a long way with it. The builders, it's been actually yeah. really fantastic. The more, the more you can re- reduce the friction in the representation of the, of the SIM so that the, the chief doesn't have to stop and turn to the guy that's facilitating it and say, so do I have water going right. in the building? Right. Exactly. You know, so just little exactly. things like that. Exactly. It doesn't have that's to necessarily. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that's that friction point. Yeah. That friction point kind of yeah. interrupts the, the learning process there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been now, a great conversation. Like, like, yeah. So well, real quick, one of the things on the Mayday we did, like, you know, we're just calling a Mayday. We actually now have a line going in that dwelling. Like, mm. so it looks like, hey, this is where they entered. Right. So the chief right. gets, OK, that's where they're at. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Chief, thank you very much for spending this time with us. This was a great conversation and uh, I might take you up on that offer. We can have another conversation. Um, mental, maybe do, maybe we do something on the mental performance thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, yeah, give me a little time to kind of, you know, uh, become a sophomore or a junior in that, in that I'm field. A, and then we'll, I'm a seventh we'll grader. So you're, you're going to be able to teach me something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, re- <laughs> it's really interesting stuff. I think, and that's another piece of the fire service. I think that, that, uh, um, you know, I think it started in, in New York, kind of, they have a mental performance initiative. And I think it's a exciting part of the fire service that I think everyone and eventually six or seven years, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, um, fantastic because it's really about making critical decisions under stress. And, uh, yeah. and again, the simulations ties exactly to it. And I think that's where my interest is when I started to see simulations and I was already embarking on this, um, this education and mental performance, I was like, Oh, this, this kind of all makes ties together for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, I think it's, a, it's going to be a wonderful thing for the members of the fire. So I tell people all the time, like in five years, you're probably going to say that they're going to, this is going to be part of your culture, this, this mm-hmm. mental performance stuff. Mm-hmm. That'll be a good thing. Yep. All right. Well, thank you again. I look forward to an, another chance to speak with you. Yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks Rob. Take care. All right. As we wrap up, we'd love to hear from you. If you found value in today's episode, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. It not only helps other fire instructors and training officers discover the show, but it also helps us to create better content for you. Simply scroll to the bottom in your favorite podcast app and hit rate and review. Your feedback means the world to us. Thank you for being a part of our community, and we'll catch you in the next episode.